Welcome, new friends. Here we are at the first ever recap episode of Netflix's Drive to Survive. During each recap, I will be going through what's happening in the episode and making some light commentary. When you hear me say things like side note, sidebar, pit stop, or box, that means I would like to go into some more detail about things I feel like they missed or didn't explain well enough. Cough, cough, like the timeline. I feel like I never understood when in the year they were at sometimes, so I'm going to try and clear that up for us, for you, whoever, Um, but the show is still great regardless of that. The episode we are watching slash going over today is titled All to Play For, which I'm sure is a reference from something, but I just don't know what it is from. Anyways, let's get into it. Boom. The first thing we hear is a dramatic noise and pulse-like tones to really grab your attention. And we're on a drone camera on the outskirts of some city with a beautiful water's edge. We hear a narration of Daniel Ricardo's sweet angel voice start narrating about the first time he literally heard racing, referring to the high-pitched engine scream. Uh, I unfortunately cannot make that noise for you all, and I cannot imitate that, but you can use your imaginations. Then we hear Christian Horner's voice narrating over short clips of racing, explaining in his dramatic British accent, which I think would be great for an audiobook, about the drivers having a, quote, almost fighter pilot's mentality, end quote, because their cars are going like over 200 miles an hour at some points. Immediately following, we're blessed with a wonderful clip with a huge explosion sound and a car crashing against something or someone and spinning multiple times around across the track just to uh, get that point across. Sergio Perez's voice then comes in for a quick second talking about thinking of his family. However, this audio is put over a shot of Carlos Sainz's face and his cousin slash manager, uh, which kind of struck me as odd. Hello, Netflix. Not all people who speak Spanish are the same. Just kidding. Sort of. Moving on. We see a clip of poor Grace Ricardo looking nervous as hell, watching a race, narrating how all she prays for is a safe race. And then she hugs her not-so-little baby boy. Oh, tear. Without getting much more bogged down in the opening narration scenes, we hear from Nico Hulkenberg, Horner again, Claire Williams, Daniel, Jean Haas, Zach Brown, and they all provide sound bites of how intense, high-stakes, politicking, and downright circus-like F1 can really be, and that everyone on these teams wants to win. These clips are really top-notch if I say so myself, but they're kind of random to the new viewer. You can't really tell if they're coming from the upcoming season or not. Uh, Spoiler alert, they aren't. They're just clips that tie into the dramatic intro with lots of engine revving, broom broom, and the background to get us pumped. Mm, mm, mm. You've got to pump it up. Anyway, uh, they start the sound bites of some more drivers and some more short clips. I don't know if it's a guy thing, but I seriously can't tell if they are youngins who look super mature or just older guys who look really good for their age. However, because I'm so curious, I will state their age at some point uh, when they come up like in their interviews or whatever, because I just need to know. But at the end of the day, kudos to them because these men all look great regardless of their age. Snaps. The drivers then start to explain the shitty dynamic between their teammates who were told are really their biggest enemy. So here we're going to box. The question is, why are teammates the biggest enemies? So if you're new, like I was, you hear the word teammate and you don't associate that with quote unquote enemy. But think about it. 
if you're in the exact same car and you're racing worse than your teammate, then looking from the outside or even from the inside, who's the worst driver? Who will the team cut if they want to make room for someone else they think is better? So even though there have been some bromances between these teammates, I have to imagine it can be tough for some getting close to each other because at the end of the day, they're quote unquote enemies. So now we're back. There is more talk about the desire to win and including talk about the highs and lows of the sport as with anything that grants trophies on a world stage. We even see a one-second clip of someone's wedding, which, if you pause, is Sergio Perez, uh, nicknamed Checo. Did he send that clip in, or did they legit record his wedding, and we just never get to see it? Spoiler. Um, I love a wedding, so poo on them for not showing it. Rude. So finally, at the end of this intense two-minute intro, we see the show's signature title shot, which might be my favorite in all the series because it's all the teams in a split second from the driver's view pulling into the pit and then a top shot looking down at the top of the car during the tire change and the car just zooming away. And a fun fact for this particular episode, it was focused more on Kimi Ryan Ferrari car for the scene. Now we're going to get into the first sit-down interview with the charming, cheeky, and almost always smiling Australian driver Daniel Ricciardo, who of course jokingly introduces himself as a car mechanic before stating his real profession to the interviewer. At this point, I'm assuming the question asked was something like, why do you drive and what do you love about it? As his response goes into the love of high racing speeds and danger followed by clips of him racing really, really well and hoisting a trophy with that huge shit-eating grin he sports so often. And then we fade back to 2018. We find ourselves in Perth, Australia, Daniel's hometown, and him riding his bike on dirt hills, which I'm assuming means he loves outdoorsy activities. He tells the audience his love for the sport started at a young age, and then there's an adorable picture of a curly-headed little winner with his signature smile holding a first-place trophy that's half the size of him. And for good measure, they zoom in as close as humanly possible on the grainy picture of his face. Then we get to see some clips of little Danny in go-kart racing, which I assume or think how all F1 drivers get their start, and talking about the family sacrifices to realize his dream, which is really sweet. Back to present day, well, technically 2018, we see the parentals again. His dad, Joe, is a slightly rugged-looking, handsome gentleman and sweet Grace again, from whom he obviously got his curly hair. And Danny is holding an angel-faced blonde baby, which I'm assuming is his nephew. Note to all the men out there, being sweet with kids is a surefire way to get a lady's attention, okay? And then we see sheep. I don't know why that scene got me so excited. I truly enjoy a floofy animal. I'm also assuming they're letting us know that the family live or work on a farm. Fast forward a second to Daniel stating he truly believes that he can be a world champion and that's why he continues to race. Um, please note that at this point, he has won two individual races, but unfortunately not a world champion. And the 2017 winner was the infamous Lewis Hamilton. Then we see for the first time the cool Netflix graphic of an earth lit up and it spins around until we land on Melbourne, Australia, which is the first race of the 2018 season. So I guess that's why Netflix decided to focus on Danny first as it flows into the first race, which is what Daniel calls his home race. At this point, we're going to box. The question is, what is a home race? Answer. 
since every driver has to claim one country to represent when a Grand Prix is held in that country, it is considered their home race. And usually the majority of fans are there to see those drivers. However, each team does have their own country of origin, like Ferrari, home race or races are in Italy, and Haas is in the USA. Okay, so we're back. We then see clips of a shit ton of fans wearing all different team brands all lined up and wanting autographs and pictures from Danny and the other drivers, while Danny simultaneously narrates the pressure he feels during a home race, and he is the sole Aussie driver in F1 right now. A reporter in the press pen then asks him, how important is this season for you? That was a terrible accent. How important is this season for you as being a season in which you can compete for the championship? I truly don't understand these questions sometimes because like, what the hell is he supposed to say? Oh, this season doesn't matter to me. Like, hello. But anyway, the F1 reporters are like way more savage. If you ever watch their pre and post race interviews, Ugh, go YouTube that. Anyway, scene switch to that same reporter then has his own sit-down interview with the Netflix producers, and his name is Mr. Will Buxton. He then goes on to continue about Daniel being a big talent and that the 2018 season may be his only chance to get the championship. Oof. Yikes. Then we switch to another journalist, Chris Medlin. He's then talking about the three teams he believes are capable of winning this season's races. Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull specifically referencing Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel, who at that point were tied with four freaking world championships. Oh boy. We then see clips of their interviews with other reporters before the race. They're both cuties, but Seb, like, what was up with that haircut? Oh god, it reminds me of the bad guy from the old comedy movie, The Problem Child. Like, have it faded, maybe not such an aggressive straight line. Sigh, thank god he doesn't have that haircut now. Um, our journalist, Chris, then goes into the budgets of the strong teams being huge. I mentioned this before in the Driving for Dummies episode, but the budgets could be up to $500 or $600 million. So this means that they're able to design the best cars, whereas the smaller teams have a fraction of that budget. And then at this point, we are introduced to the Haas team, spelled H-A-A-S. They finished eighth at the end of 2017, and their team principal is Gunther Steiner. He is one of my favorite principals, and hopefully you will see why. This man worked his way up in the ranks. He explains he started as a mechanic and that he's been in the business over 30 years. It was his idea to have a U.S. team, and he convinced American millionaire and NASCAR team owner Gene Haas to start one. Gene then lets us know his quote-unquote small budget is $140 million, so it's hard to keep up with the big dogs. We hear Gunther talking... Gunther? Gunther? I'm going to switch back and forth. We then hear him talking to reporters, and in his interview, he explains there are only 212 team members, and they are a relatively new team, but that doesn't make them a layup. To this response, the reporter then has huge eyes like a deer stuck in headlights. Like, oh boy, I guess that's a really tiny budget. Now back to the racing. At this point, we are told about the weekend schedule. If you want more detail what that means, please go to my Driving for Dummies episode. <clears throat> Friday, the drivers get to practice and get their setups ready. Seeing all the fans on the track sides just makes me miss pre-corona life. How crazy is it that we're all just used to be on top of each other like it was nothing? 
and who knows when that'll be again. But anyway, back to topic. Chris explains to us that Friday practice happens to ensure the car is performing well on the track. Saturday is for qualifying, which determines the order that the cars will start the race in. And Sunday is race day. It's Friday then. It's Saturday, Sunday. What? Anyway, in the background of the last five minutes is a lot of zoom zooming of the engines, which I love. But watching these in detail, is it like a little much? Or maybe it's a pleasurable sound to you and to the audience. Who knows? The last we hear from Chris for now is how last year three cars crashed at the Melbourne track. I just want to clear up that this is a nightmare situation for teams. Mechanics need to fix all the damage overnight in time for qualifying, and the driver misses out on those practice times that they really desperately need. The editors then cut to the Red Bull team, last year's third place team, and we put a face to the name of Christian Horner, who I would label as a handsome British ginger. He's the Red Bull racing team principal, which means, and quote, the buck effectively stops with me. Box, box, box. I had never heard that saying before, the buck stops with me. So the question is, what does that mean? I assume that it meant like you're the last in charge or the top guy. But actually, the saying was made popular by U.S. President Harry Truman. So the original phrase is based on the metaphorical expression, passing the buck or dollar derived from poker, which came to mean quote-unquote, passing blame or absolving oneself of responsibility by denying authority over a given matter. So when a person says, the buck stops with me, that means they have to take responsibility for something and will not try to pass the responsibility on to someone else. Hmm. The more you know, people. Then we see an old clip from 2010 of a baby beardless Seb Vettel winning one of his four back-to-back world championships with Red Bull. Christian introduces us to the drivers, one of which we already know, Daniel, who was 28 years old at the time. Let's go, 1989 babies. And the Dutchman, Max Verstappen, who is 20 years old. As I mentioned before, you cannot tell how old these guys are. Max is a baby by age, but he looks maybe the same age as Daniel, which is not meant to be like an insult or shade. He just really carries himself as like an intimidating adult. You hear Christian discuss agreed upon strategy and described Danny as quote at the top of his game and Max quote as an emerging talent which I might agree with but that kind of also puts pressure on Daniel because you know you can only go down from the top right but I guess we'll have to see and evaluate if that's really true along the season um at this point Daniel is kind of getting a lot of narration time not that I mind but it's annoying at how one sentence sounds like a zoom call or that he was in an empty hallway and the next sentence it's like perfectly mic'd up interview um I say that's very sloppy Netflix tisk tisk at this point he's talking about feeling if the car is fast along with a lot of more zoom zoom clips following Christian's hypothetical questions of is their car good enough each year now we're going to fast forward to quali Uh, Again, the purpose is to set the order of the race. So these drivers are pushing the car absolutely as hard as possible, which then pans to a nasty clip of Valtteri Bottas absolutely destroying his car into a wall and then switching to Haas and my boot Gunther giving a heartfelt pep talk. We meet one of their drivers who's 26-year-old Kevin Magnussen with some striking blue eyes and like the blondest, almost white hair I've ever seen. He's definitely a Targaryen or something, and he's another one who I'd completely guess their age wrong. 
He looks at least 30, like a Viking who's sired 10 kids already, but no shade. It's just really how these guys like carry themselves, I feel. Kevin is someone who relays how much pressure there is in F1 and how intense Quali can be. We then see a 2017 clip of him sideswiping someone in a white car. Not sure if that was on purpose, but he explains that he does not think of the danger only caring about the results, not even death, which is like kind of a little morbid guy, but okay, whatever. Kevin then refers to being one with the car, and it feels like flying and having superpowers with a cute little childlike grin, and we kind of see his age poking through when he talks about it. While focusing still on Haas, we can hear the actual F1 commentator tell us both drivers finish fifth and sixth, which is the team's highest quality ever, so yay for them. Then we hear Kevin and his engineer congratulate one another over the radio while Sweet Gunther and the team members run around hugging each other and high-fiving. It's all very precious. Inside of the Haas tent, I guess you call it, Gunther is talking to the owner, Gene, on his cell phone. I'm assuming because Gene's probably back in the U.S., but who knows? And they're talking about running with the quote-unquote big boys. In the next clip, G is saying they cannot fail in his interview, especially with all the doubt people have had about them. So now we get to race day. Cheeky little Danny stops to say hi to some 10-year-olds and answers the little kid's ringing cell phone, does a little press for the fans, and then he hugs his sweet mom, Gracie. Love her. The commentator comes in to explain the top qualifiers. First is Lewis Hamilton, Kimi Raikkonen, Seb, Max, Kevin. Editing then skips to Danny starting eighth, but apparently this was due to a penalty during practice. And as per Google, Danny actually had qualified fifth originally. Um, I decided to Google the rest of the quality results for those of you who are dying to know. Starting with sixth place, I will name the driver and their team until we get to 20th place. We have Roman Grosjean, Haas, Nico Hulkenberg, Renault, Danny, Red Bull, Carlos Sainz, Renault, Fernando Alonso, McLaren, Stoffel Van Dorn, McLaren, Sergio Perez, Force India, Lance Stroll, Williams, Esteban Ocon, Force India, Valtteri Bottas, Mercedes, Brendan Hartley, Toro Rosso, Marcus Erickson, Sauber, Charles, Charles Leclerc, Sauber, Sergei Seratkin, Williams, and then finally Pierre Gasly in Toro Rosso. And now we get to moments before the race. Gunther, Kevin, Daniel, and Horner all talk about those pre-race feelings and anticipation. Cut to Gracie again talking about previously feeling so bad for the driver's moms when her son was little and they were just at the track watching those races and how she never thought she was going to be one of them watching her own grown son. As the narration is happening, her foot is shaking under the table. This poor woman. Oh my god. Now we have a cool helicopter view of the grid with hundreds of people swarming around the cars. We get the commentator's 30-second warning to the race and kind of like a smooth dance. The track is just like clear to the mechanics. Then we get the eerie silence that follows. The zoom in on the five red lights. And they're off. Right out of the gate, the pack is going into that first corner is just like a horde. It's wild. We start to see it thin out a little bit after that. Magnuson gets past Max, who then gets told off by his engineer, basically. Danny makes up a place, which means he's past someone, for those who don't know. Switch back to Gracie and her husband, Joe, anxiously watching the race as she tells us, all we do is pray for a safe race and everything else is a bonus, which really breaks my heart, like these poor parents. Papa Joe then chimes in about his sole worry, basically something going wrong, and he says, I don't even want to talk about it. 
here I am wishing my possible future child would be an F1 driver, and these guys are truly putting it in perspective. Also, just a few minutes ago, Magnuson was saying he doesn't fear death so much for varying feelings within racing. Of course, depending on who you talk to. Switch back to the race, Christian sitting at the pit wall talking about analyzing data and graphs, which, side note, the pit wall is opposite the garage and the people sitting there are facing towards the track. The pit wall has a shit ton of TVs, radio controls, and computer screens all spitting out live data as the race is happening. At this point, Danny has now passed Hulkenberg in the Renault, while we see Max getting told to overcome Magnuson at his most vulnerable. Just as he's creeping up on a turn, Max takes a huge spin in the middle of the track, comes to control it, but then about five cars pass him, unfortunately for him. Then the Haas cars are in front, actually one right in front of the other, and commentators tell us it's only the Ferraris and Mercedes in front of those guys, which means they're still fifth and sixth. Then we see a cool view of a camera on the track limit, watching the cars like zoom right over the camera, and you can tell really how low to the ground these cars are. It is wild. But as quickly as we are cheering for Haas, Magnussen has a quote lockup. This is the term used to describe a driver braking sharply and locking one or more tires whilst the others continue rotating. It will usually create some smoke since those tires were just spinning at like 150 miles an hour and then just stop, which increases their degradation. Equals no bueno. He says it's time to change tires to the engineer, which responds box. Um, and it's like a verb at this point, like to box, which means get into the pit lane right now, bitch. Kevin explains that this is really a team sport in his narration when it comes to the pit lane. And if you've never seen it, the mechanics wait in the garage until the driver's ready to box. They're literally each assigned a duty already. So at that point, they just quickly grab whatever they need, stand in a perimeter around the car as it pulls in, and make any changes necessary, which sometimes is usually just the tires. The best pit times are three seconds and under, hopefully two seconds and under. So these guys got to be freaking fast. AF. At this point now, the team is scrambling for a few seconds, but as Kevin drives off, you see one of the mechanics just standing there like aghast, and then he admits that the tire he changed isn't on tight enough. He kicks a wall. He realizes it's his fault as three seconds later, Kevin pulls over on the track to quote-unquote retire. As you can imagine, this means the car is donezo, and the driver cannot finish the race, which they make the walk of shame back to the garage. Garage, oh my god. Watching the show is giving me an accent. Honestly, it's really heartbreaking. We hear that it's their best start ever. Kevin was driving super well. And then it's out of his control at this point that he's done. And I can just only imagine how frustrating that is. And of course, like how mad he is, I'm sure. And then Gunther explains that he has to remain calm in these situations because at this point, there's another driver, which is Romain Grosjean. And we haven't formally met him. So at this point, we're rooting for him to go. Switch back to the track. Then Romain, Roman, sorry, is then told to box. The mechanics then do their little dancey dance and Roman is off. But literally all of a sudden, as soon as he's out of the pits, the car is slow. And then he's also told to retire because a different tire wasn't on tight. At this point, like I'm mad for all of them and just want to scream like, get it together, crew. Holy crap. It just sucks. The team looks so dejected, but Gunther, as the leader, has to like talk to the press immediately because he knew that they were going to bother the entire team. And the reporter he ends up talking to just looks so bad for him. Like her face almost looked like she was about to cry for him. 
And then we switch to Magnuson, who's walking with a reporter, matching his stride, trying to get a comment out of him. But this kid is obviously annoyed. And he's like, yeah, maybe later, which essentially means like, fuck off. And then he asks his PR guy to like help take care of that situation. We'll come to see audience member. If you haven't already, how savage this media is with all these drivers and the preem principles. Like it's literally ruthless. I don't have another word to describe it besides ruthless. Again, Mr. G is now on his cell phone with Mr. Haas. I'm sure getting a stern talking to, to put it lightly, probably some cursing that we couldn't hear. And of course, Gunther's like, we just fucked up. I don't know what to tell you, man. That's not an excuse or it doesn't make it right, which, of course, like, what else is he supposed to say? Uh, then he says one of the best quotes of the series, in my opinion, we looked like a bunch of rock stars and now we look like a bunch of wankers. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know that he's at a low point, but it was just so good. And I hope you agree. Um, unfortunately, now that first mechanic who fucked up is getting his talking to, but Gunther isn't like going that hard at him, which might be worse. It's like more of a disappointed father tone. The mechanic explains he thought it was on tight, but noticed it looked loose. But as the car drove off and he also looks like he's been crying like red eyes, poor thing. And he tells G that they hadn't practiced at all the weekend. But to me, that doesn't really make sense. But, you know, it's not the mechanics call if they practice, but whatever. Cut back to the race. Kimmy's in third. Daniel is right behind him putting the pressure on. The home race pressure is then reiterated by the commentator say, no Australian has finished the top three in their home race, so thanks. <laughs> Seb then ends up winning. Hamilton second, but a split second in front of Danny. Kimmy then finishes third. Now, fourth is still a great final position, of course, but Daniel explains he wants to win more and he's frustrated. Next, we see his parents congratulate him, but also kind of like console him with hugs. Mm -hmm. We then get a slow-mo of the glorious podium above the crowd. The top three drivers are spraying like these gigantic bottles of champagne literally everywhere. And some of the fans are allowed to be right below. Well, used to, but that's super cool. At this point, Kevin and Gunther then let us know they want better from themselves and the team. G says, why else do people watch F1? You want excitement. You want drama and the underdogs to get better results, which means each race is a story. And end scene. Netflix then gives us the coming up reel, which we don't know if that means the next episode or the season they're really referring to. In this coming up, it's a lovely close-up of Daniel jogging on some really gorgeous old-school stairway, talking about Max getting close to him in performance, and he's being more of a threat. Christian then says Max is one of the most exciting talents in F1. We hear Max for the first time letting us know, I need to be the faster driver of the two, and then jump into a clip of the two Red Bulls crashing into each other in another race. And one of them rear-ends the other one brutally. So we can't really tell at that point because it was such a quick clip. Um, I guess we'll find out what happened. Abruptly, the narration changes to the handsome Spaniard that is Carlos Sainz of Renault stating, Fernando Alonso is my racing hero. A clip plays of the race in which Fernando and his McLaren is turning in on Carlos. Will Buxton, the journalist we met earlier, narrates that McLaren's stakes have never been higher, which I feel like he has to say every season. Like, I'm sure we're going to end up hearing that quote again. And then the final clip is of Carlos off the track saying, this guy's not fucking beating me. No fucking way. And it seems like this editing is implying that he's talking about Alonso, but I guess we'll have to see. And that's it. That's the end of the Netflix episode. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please continue to stick around to hear more episodes. 
Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the real drivers of F1, or feel free to email me questions or comments to the real drivers of F1 at gmail.com. Thank you and bye bye.